is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Wednesday, May 25th. That means that it's only three, four, four days until Matt's wedding day. <laughs> He's getting married on Saturday, and we are super stoked to have that happen it's awesome. We are not going to have an episode this weekend. So just a kind of disclaimer here, this will be the only episode that you hear from us for about a week until next Tuesday or Wednesday or even Monday, whatever the case may be. But yeah, it's going to be a pretty busy, busy weekend. So we won't have time to upload an episode, but that's okay because this one is going to make up for missing this weekend because we've got a pretty jam packed episode today. It's going to be a fun one. There's a lot of good content. We're going to be talking NBA playoffs. We're going to be talking a little bit of NHL playoffs. We're going to be talking Justin Thomas at the PGA championship. And then finally, at the end, we're going to have a year wrong man segment because we can't go more than two weeks without a year wrong man segment. So that's what we're going to be doing today. I'm really stoked for it. Matt, are you? Of course I am. Yeah, um, it, it is. I am getting married this Saturday. It's pretty crazy. It's it's uh, it's coming up. It's it, it has come up pretty soon. So yeah, so so probably not going to do the podcast on Saturday. That's probably the best excuse I could possibly think of, other than like yeah. your child, your child being born is this yeah. probably the other one. Um, so yeah, so no podcast this weekend. But as Hayden mentioned, right, this one. Now here's the thing, though. If I had my choice, and because she's not going to be listening to this, I could probably do a podcast on the day that I get married because that's just how hey. dedicated I am to this craft and to this podcast hey. and to the listeners and to the content. That would that would cause some problems on the first day of marriage, and so I, I don't think that's probably the, the the best route to go. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna uh, I'm I'm gonna abide by by what I need to do and, and and show up where I need to show up and 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 do it. So this time next week, you know, it'll kind of be we're just kind of rolling along. Um, the good thing is I'm not going on a honeymoon right away uh, because we have a bunch of family vacations and just a bunch of life stuff going on. So we're gonna kind of wait on the uh, on the big vacation there. So. Ergo, uh, we will be back a week from today or a week from yesterday, Tuesday, to do another podcast about next week and everything that's going to be happening. So um, hopefully by then we will know the fine, the teams in the NBA finals and the teams for the uh, NHL conference finals. So, um, yeah, great, great stuff. As Hayden mentioned, a lot of stuff to get to today. And, and again, kind of some stuff that, you know, if, if you're not if you're not really following up on sports extremely closely, uh, we got you. We got you covered in this episode. Dude, that just hashed up an idea. We could uh, we could get a little we could sneak in a little pod on 6 a.m. Saturday morning. I don't know. That might be a play because, I mean, we're not going to be up by then or well, nobody else is going to be up for the wedding day at 6 a.m. So I don't know. Just the thought we could do it. But yeah, I would not expect that if you're listening, listening to this, don't expect us to to get up that early and, and do the podcast, because, again, yeah, it, it is a stressful day and we're going to want our sleep. So that's that. We are now going to move in to NBA. We've got NBA first, then PGA, then NHL, and then you're wrong, man. So that's what's on tap for today. Moving into NBA first. It seems like these NBA playoff games are super lopsided towards any one team. And it actually seems like it has pretty much nothing to do with home court advantage. Some I would say that most home teams are the ones that are blowing out the other teams. Um, and this has happened pretty much all across the NBA playoffs, not just in the conference finals that we're watching right now, but pretty much all, all across the NBA playoffs. Um, you know, most of the series are, are similar in that way. 
And so just for some examples here, we saw the Mavericks blow out the Suns by 33 points in Phoenix to take game seven of that series and obviously move on to the Western Conference Finals. And we've recently seen the Celtics go to Miami and beat the Heat by 25 and then go back to Boston and then lose the very next game. So I'm going to pose this question to Matt here. What's up with these blowout wins? Are they good or bad for entertainment value? And why do you think they might be happening? Well, I mean, yeah, that's a lot of questions. I think to throw out some other stats here, though, I mean, Hayden mentioned how the, the Mavericks blew out the Suns, um, and then the Heat and and the uh, and the Celtics have pretty much been it's pretty much been a blowout every single game. Um, I think of the four, I think it was forty one playoff games that have happened. Um, over half of those, I think twenty, no, I think thirty. So like 30 of the 41 playoff games have been uh, like have, you know, the final score has been by a margin of 10 points or more. So a double digit. And then half of those. So about, I think, 15 or 16 uh, have been by 20 plus points. So so we're basically what we're basically saying here is like one third of all the playoff games that have happened in the entire playoffs. This series have been 20 plus point blowouts in in either way. Um, And I don't know. I mean, I, I think personally, like. It's fun to watch the games because it's the NBA playoffs. It's the, you know, it's the conference finals. It's, it's, it's the chance to go to the, uh, you know, to, to win the, you know, for a chance to win the championship. Um, But it's really just not every game just seems like it's a blowout. And so a couple reasons, I mean, I think the first one is is clearly, especially for the Heat and the uh, and, and the Celtics, is really just injuries, right? I mean, and, and even beyond injuries, like there's COVID stuff now happening. Um, but you know, right? Robert Williams, um, you know, one of the best defensive players in the entire league. He's been in and out the entire playoffs. Obviously, Marcus Smart, uh, the defensive player of the year, who we kind of gave uh, you know gave a little criticism towards uh, in our last prior podcast you know last time uh with Mitchell and you know he's been you know he's dealing with an ankle he's been in and out um Jimmy Butler on the other side you know same deal he's kind of you know he missed the second half of of the game which the which the Heat won in in Boston which was you know that was a pretty impressive win if you if you if if you ask me but yeah I think it's just been injury right I think these guys are really just trying their butts off and kind of as a result of that you end up in a situation where sometimes you're going to go a little bit too hard and so it's honestly a good sign that these guys are trying so hard but it's like it almost looks like they're not right because the games are basically just so non-competitive so so you kind of end up in the situation where you know one team just seems like they're trying really hard and the other team just just seems like they don't um I think another reason besides injuries is really just the I, I think just like the the uh, the discrepancy in shooting accuracy basically is like sometimes these teams are getting really hot whether that be you know the Mavericks getting hot from three as they did pretty much you know for the whole back half of the Sun series and then you know kind of kind of in their in their most recent game against the Warriors um and then kind of on the other side of that you have teams that are basically just missing all their shots right so um the Celtics had had, I think it was game one against the Heat they you know missed like you know they, they they shot like 30% 30% from the entire game. Um, last game, the Heat, which they got down, like, it, literally in the first quarter, it was like, I think it was like 18 to 1. Um, with three minutes left in the first quarter, the Heat had scored one point in the entire first quarter. They missed their first 14 shots, which is actually the most in NBA history. That's like the most shots, wow. like, missed in a row to begin a game in NBA in NBA playoff history. So it's like, 
so it's like kind of, I don't know. I mean, it's like, yes, these games are not entertaining, but it's like, honestly, like you just have historically like bad or good shooting that is kind of really, I think, causing a lot of these games to be not entertaining. Right. So um, I think some of it's a little bit, lo- of you know, a little bit just luck either way, kind of, you know, he- here or there um, injuries, like I said, you know, are, de- are definitely playing a part, but that's kind of my thing is like, I don't even really, it's not even really like a, like a debate. It's not something that looks like controversial, not something that we can kind of either, you know, take sides on. It's more just a statement of fact. And it's like, I don't have any really, I don't really have any solutions. I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not out here, you know, working for TNT or anything, but like there, there just is a a kind of a feeling now to where I'll turn on a game at the beginning. I'll be excited to watch it. Cause again, that's the other thing too, is like, there's not that much sports on, like it is like the, a great time of the year for kind of, you know, sports like the NBA and the NHL who, who don't get as much shine as say the NFL does um, you know, those sports are kind of in their final stretch. Right. So like the best teams are still left. The games mean everything because whoever wins these series, they go to play for the championships. Right. So the games are extremely important, but like, like I've been saying, it's like, it's pretty much, you know, if, if you turn on every game, you get excited to watch it. And then, the team gets up by 20 points in the first quarter. It's like, well, this is kind of not that fun to watch. I think the only like saving grace has basically just been the Warriors because in pretty much every game, and this is just, I mean, they've been this way ever since for the entire dynasty, right? I mean, this we're we're talking 10 years ago at this point, the third quarter runs by the Warriors are always insane. And so they kind of don't, they kind of, they just come out slow to be honest in the first and second quarter in a lot of their games. And then just, blow teams out in the third quarter so then by the end of the game it's kind of a you know it's a good game it's a close game um and so you know we saw in in uh and i think it was game three um in the first game in dallas you know they're they're down at, at halftime and then they you know they go off in the third quarter and you know there's kind of still sticking around they were down by like 10 or 14 points i think by the you know middle of the, of the third quarter and then they ended up winning the game by like 10 points so um you know classic warriors there for you right but but yeah i think that's kind of that was kind of the point of this topic and you know i'm not, I'm not really spending too much time on it it's just because i think we need to kind of get it out there right it's just like it's just a big it's just an observation and obviously it's not you know some crazy theory that i've derived that like nobody else is thinking about or talking about it's just kind of how the things are going but I don't know. I, cause I, I am excited to watch these games and I, right. Like I said, I sit down and I'm like, all right, cool. Like what, you know, what can I look for then to talk about on the podcast, obviously, but then also just to, you know, watch good basketball be played. And I'm not saying it's bad basketball. I'm just saying that when you already know, you know, about halfway through the first quarter, what team is going to win that, that, that doesn't really hold my interest. So um, yeah. So, so I think those are kind of the, uh, you know, the main points, um, a couple of reasons why the scoring has been, has been so crazy. There's even more stats out there. I don't want to like say anything to, to, to get anything wrong. Um, another stat that I'm not exactly sure how it's even defined, but there, there's this thing called clutch minutes. I think it's like the, the last five minutes of the fourth quarter or something. Um, and, and there's this crazy stat where it's like in, seven in the last 17 games there's been like four total clutch minutes so there's like a potential for like you know like 60 or 70 minutes of of you know clutch time which is like whatever that may be you know the score was with, i think i think it's with five minutes left in the fourth quarter with the score being within like six or seven points or something again it may not be exact but that's kind of that's kind of the idea because it's like the clutch time right like you know one team can win one team can lose it can it's it's a clutch moment if you you know if the game's close whatever um but yeah I, I, it's like it's like 
if you do the math, it's like 5% of the time in all of these, you know, most recent games, which are the games that matter the most, because obviously, as I said, these are the best teams that are left and they're vying for the, you know, spot for the championship here. And of, you know, of all these chances and all these games, it's been like 5% of the time that it's actually even mattered. And even by then, like I said, most of those games end up being, you know, double digit wins on either side to be, you know, at the end of the day anyway. So it's not even like, you know, none of these games are, are really, are really, you know, even kind of staying close, even if they are close to begin with. So, yeah. So, so those are a couple things, um, you know, reasons, stats to point out. Um, I, I don't think it's good for the entertainment value. I think that obviously like at this point in the year, just because it's, you know, the end of May and there's not really much else going on. Um, I think in terms of like TV ratings and stuff, like people are still watching the NBA, people are still talking about the NBA. So it's not like the sport is suffering from it. I just think that like, it could be a lot better. Um, but for some reason, these whack shooting occurrences and you know you know crazy injuries keep happening to where it just kind of makes the games uh, a little bit you know a little bit uncompetitive hopefully though uh this can kind of be the turning point and maybe you know maybe when we get to the nba finals i mean obviously that would be pretty much you know seven games max uh left in the entire nba season at that point uh you know those games are competitive which i, I do think they will be any any matchup of all, you know any of the four teams left in this year's playoffs i i think you know, will we'll be a very competitive matchup and, and, and yield some close games. So I'm excited to, to kind of hope for, you know, a turning point here, but yeah, the, the blowouts have just been crazy. Um, Hayden, Hayden, what do you think about it? Yeah, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head with the whole injury talk and, and kind of why these games are, are panning out this way. And again, it's, it's one of those things where like, I think even in the playoffs, the guys, if they get down on themselves or if you go down by 20 by halftime, if you're not back within 10 points by the fourth quarter, you're not really even, you know, there's, there's, you're kind of already getting down on yourself and you're already thinking about a loss. That's what, I mean, I've never played in the NBA, so I don't know exactly what goes through these guys' heads, but if I was playing, that's, that would be my, my thought process. or that would be what, what would be going through my head. Of course, if you're Steph Curry and the Warriors, your situation's a little bit different because you can come back from a 10 point deficit in, 30 seconds. So yeah, that's the Warriors are a little bit different. And I would, I would say that the Warriors in terms of entertainment value, I guess they're hurt the least, or they are, you know, disadvantaged the least from this, because I don't know about you guys, but when I'm watching the Warriors, I don't care if they're up by 30, I'm going to keep watching the game because Steph Curry is going to keep pulling from deep, like no matter what, basically. Um, And so, you know, obviously, unless it's the last couple minutes, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to keep on watching the Warriors no matter what. So it's, I think it's teams that are more exciting to watch like the Warriors. It doesn't really hurt them as much, but definitely the more, I wouldn't say boring teams, but the, the, the teams that don't really get hot from three often, um, I, you know, I, I would say kind of like, well, there's really only, I guess, one team right now. And that's, I mean, the, the Celtics, you, you, I guess you could say get hot from three, but they're probably like the least susceptible to get hot from three. Um, and so I would say like they probably are disadvantaged the most by this in terms of entertainment value. If I'm watching the, the Heat and Celtics and one of the teams is, is up by even, you know, 15 points towards the end of the game. And if it's, if it's like 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter, I'm probably going to turn it off because that's not really as fun to watch as it, as it would be Mavs and Warriors who, who are more exciting, like Matt said. So, yeah, I think in terms of entertainment value, it definitely goes in the Warriors favor and even the Mavs favor. Um, and other one other thing that I wanted to mention was going back to like going back to last year. And again, this, this analogy might not be 
the best, but it, when Matt was talking, I thought of it. And it's that we obviously saw the Bucks win the championship last year or the NBA finals, whatever you want to call it. They won last year and they had Giannis and they were not really a shooting team. They, you know, Chris Middleton, he can get hot from three, but he's really the only one on their team that could really get hot from three. You saw Bobby Portis every once in a while would shoot like a corner three and make it, but people will get hyped because he wasn't really supposed to make those or he wasn't really expected to make those. So like in terms of the bucks winning last year, and I don't really remember which games were blowouts and which weren't from last year, but we saw like a, you know, a a team with a very big star player who wasn't good at shooting, but nobody could stop down low. We saw them go on and win. Right. I'm sure that there were, that, that there's probably been more blowouts this year in terms of, you know, playoff series in general than there have been or than there were last year. But I think that there's something to say about the whole, like about, about the bucks having that one star in Giannis and, you know, the teams in, that are in the mix now, I guess, except for the Mavs, the Mavs have Luca and he's kind of their guy. Um, but in terms of all the other teams, like they're all very much team focused teams. They're not just like a one star player. And then you have a bunch of other, uh, what do you call those? You call them role players. Role That's, players. Yeah. Role yeah. Role players. There you go. Yeah. So you have a bunch of other role players, whatever. Um, a lot of the teams in these, I would say three out of the four teams in these, um, in these conference finals are definitely teams that are focused on or teams that have like a team focus. Um, and so, you know, if they're not hitting from three, then as a team, then they're not going to win. Like they're going to go down by a lot and they're going to get beat by a lot. Um, and so I think having like a, a star player on your team, Luca's super consistent. Giannis is super consistent. So we see those teams, I think, succeed more in the playoffs than we would, um, you know, more of a, a, a team team, I guess. Because again, like if, you know, if the whole, if the whole team is, is off shooting, you don't have anybody to fall back on. If, if, the star player goes for 30 instead of 40 points. Like there's still more of a chance. I feel like with the other players um, around them, again, that, that you guys might be thinking about this subject and thinking the opposite, but that's how my brain is thinking about it. And it's a little bit of an unorthodox way to think about it, but yeah, that's um, that's pretty much all I had to say about it. And I think it's again, like, again, like Matt said, it's not one of those things that you can diagnose. It's one of those things that you kind of just have to look at it and be like, okay, well, this is happening. And then I guess think about it from a perspective, like I brought to it saying, okay, well, you know, are these teams that are, um, you know, that don't really have a star player and that are more team focused, are these teams going to have an advantage or a, a disadvantage going into the, going into the finals? That's how I'm looking at it. But yeah. Yeah. And and I think you're exactly right. That's honestly kind of a point that, that I don't, I don't think is being talked about a lot. So, so I like, I like what you said there. And it is interesting because pretty much, you know, from what you said, the, the kind of the, the general point is like, okay, so it looks like the Mavericks are the only team left in this year's playoffs that that kind of have that dominant star yeah. that's going to be carrying them to victories. And they were the team that was down 3-0, right? So it's right. like they're the only team that kind of has this, you know, one dominant player, this star that's going to carry you to, to, you know, to wins. But at the same time, they're, you know, considerably the worst team left in the playoffs and all these other, you know, the teams that are, that are you know, that gel well together, that, that are dynamic, that have a lot of players who aren't, individually you know stars but together you know they they utilize their strengths and and play off of each other in order to you know kind of best uh suit their team so um i I do think that's a good point and i think that we're seeing that kind of play out as like 
sometimes it, it does kind of come through where you have a Giannis, you know, where, you know, he just takes over and scores 50 points in game six to, to, to ice the series and win the championship. You don't see that a lot though. Right. And I think that's kind of one of the things that, especially over the last, you know, really 10 year, almost even more than 10 years at this point. Um, you know, I think so in 2011, the, the, the Mavericks actually won the finals um, over the heat. So, you know, two teams that are still left in these playoffs, but you had Dirk on that Mavericks team and, yeah. you know, mo- the rest of the players were kind of like, you didn't really know, but you know, Dirk, Dirk Nowitzki, like he's the guy. Um, but then pretty much ever since then, 2012, on I think until last year it makes a good point until last year with Giannis um you had obviously the heat with the big three right then you had the Warriors who who won three out of five championships um and, and you know they they obviously had you know the Splash Brothers and, and whatever so and obviously yeah Steph Curry is is the is the dominant player on that team but because he commands so much attention and everything else he'll he lets his other players kind of shine right I mean you know we saw Draymond Green drop 32 points in a game six against the Cavs uh one of those years so you know he he could put up points as well too the Cavaliers obviously you know they got their championship they you know the Cavs and the Warriors played each other in five straight finals um and so or four straight finals whatever it was and they got a championship and they had the big three uh you know then you had the Raptors and they had you know I guess Kawhi Leonard you know probably carried that team but they had some great pieces around the two so I think that's kind of a, a good a more general point is like you know we see that nowadays you can't really have that just that one guy to to really can't like having that one guy helps, but, you know, kind of having this, this team oriented uh, mindset really sometimes works a lot better. And the funny thing is I would argue that the best example of that is the Suns, who the Mavericks just beat and Luka Doncic went off and, you know, was the reason that the Mavericks were able to kind of pull that upset. So it it sometimes, you know, doesn't even work out. So, so yeah, so, so I think those are great points, but speaking of the Suns, that is the uh, feature of our next topic here. We're talking about DeAndre Ayton. Okay. Number one pick four years ago, coming out of Arizona. Um, He's actually a cool story. So he like grew up in Arizona. He played high school basketball in Arizona. He went to the university of Arizona and now he plays for the Phoenix Suns in Arizona. So this guy is just like Mr. Arizona. He's never left the he's never left the state, and he's represented them every you know all all the steps along the way. Um, so let's talk about his future, though, or lack thereof, uh, in Phoenix. So Monty Williams, who's the coach of the Phoenix Suns, he took DeAndre Ayton out of the game for almost the entire fourth quarter uh, of their of their final game against the Mavericks, that Game Seven at home, which they ended up losing. Um, but more importantly. DeAndre Ayton's a restricted free agent. I mentioned that he was the first overall draft pick four years ago. And, you know, as, as kind of what the rules state, a restricted free agent actually in, in their, you know, after the first kind of four year contract that, you know, you get after being a first round draft pick, um, that kind of that kind of uh, you know instigates the uh, the restricted restricted free agent uh, you know kind of title. I know that's a little bit confusing, and you're probably wondering like you hear that all the time. You're like, what's going on? I'm gonna let Hayden just kind of briefly go over what a restricted free agent is, and I kind of gave the you know the uh, the the you know kind of what warrants a free agent obviously after your first four years but you know kind of what what does that mean in terms of how this can maybe affect DeAndre Ayton's immediate future in terms of other teams you know training for him or the Suns keeping him what what is what is what's the situation that he's in right now yeah so essentially for those of you who don't know what a restricted free agent is it is basically if so he's going to be a free agent and another team can make an offer for a deal or whatever they can make any kind of deal that they want and if a team makes a deal, the Suns are obviously notified about that. And then if the Suns match that deal, so say, I don't know, say the Charlotte Hornets come out and they 
offer DeAndre Ayton, I'm going to give a, a random salary, $100 million over four years, right? So if the Suns see that and they say, okay, well, we want to offer him, we want to match that, we'll offer him $100 million over four years, uh, over four years. The Suns have priorities. So technically, DeAndre Ayton has to stay with the Suns. And then at that point, if, I don't know, if the relationship is broken between him and Monty Williams or whatever, then if he really wants out of Phoenix, then he can re- he can request a trade at that point, I guess. That's that's my guess. Um, but the idea of the restricted free agent is that if the the team that has the player already sees a deal um, that that's made towards that player and they say, OK, well, we want to match that, then they have priority and they get that player over the the other team that made the same deal. So he's basically a son until um, until another team makes an offer and, the, and then the Suns say, okay, well, we don't want to make that offer. You guys can have him. So the Suns basically, they have to refuse m- matching that deal in order for him to stay on the sun, in order for him to move to a different team. So the argument then becomes – He's clearly a really great player. Obviously, he struggled, you know, the first couple of years. You get Chris Paul in there, and he's going he's gonna to coach up your big men, right? He's going to make everything work. And he, well, I think, was very, very pivotal in changing the way that DeAndre in plays. He, he, he was a little bit, you know, he was a little bit shy to start his career. He, he was obviously talented, right? I mean, he was number one overall pick. He's, he's lived up to it. Obviously, he was in the same draft as Luka Doncic, so I think we could say that, you know, probably – you know, technically, maybe the, you know the may, the Mavs might have won that uh, you know won that pick battle, I guess you could say. Um, but nonetheless, it's it's hard to find a scoring big man who defends and scores kind of at the same level, much like DeAndre Ayton does. And this guy's only like twenty three years old, twenty four or something like that. Um, he looks like he's like forty though. He looks really old, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, he's still very young, and obviously, you know, at that point we start getting into the max contract talk. Okay. So you always hear this. Oh, this guy's going to get the max. This guy's going to get them. What is the, what is the max? So I looked it up. It's actually extremely confusing. It's basically, and I'm going to shorten it up here because I don't want to give out all the details because I'm just going to lose people in this, but essentially the max contract is you're giving one player a contract, which constitutes up to, it's like basically between 25% and 30% of the entire team's salary cap for that season. Okay. So, you know, if, if your salary cap is a hundred million dollars, then you have to give this player, if you, you know, you designate it as the max contract, you have to give this player between 25 million and $30 million a year, obviously with the way that the salary caps work and the amount of money that, you know, that, that these teams are dealing with, it's usually a lot more than that, uh, you know, per guaranteed per year, whatever. Um, but, but that's kind of what we're talking about here is, is essentially if you're going to be using a quarter of your entire salary cap, the entire amount of money that you can spend on paying your players for one year, you're going to spend that on one guy. Well, that guy better be good. Right. So that's kind of the argument here around Deandre Ayton is like, is he good enough for the Suns to warrant a spending a max contract on him because realistically with all the other teams out there and Hayden mentioned, you know, teams like the Hornets who are kind of a fringe playoff team, but could really use a guy like DeAndre. I mean, imagine the Hornets, you know, you got, you got LaMelo ball, you got, um, uh, you know, scary Terry, Terry Rozier, right? So like you have all these skilled point guards and, and you know, you PJ Washington on the, on the Hornets as well. Uh, you know, DeAndre Ayton is a great, especially after kind of what he's been molded into by Chris, you know, by the, by the, you know, by the guidance and the advice of Chris Paul, you know, imagine that guy now taking his skills, everything that he's done in Phoenix to Charlotte, like a team, a team like that, that's, that's amazing. And so the Charlotte Hornets actually, you know, kind of, 
you know, were, were about to make the playoffs this year. They didn't actually, you know, they didn't actually get there, but they, you know, if they'd beaten the Hawks in the play-in game, they would have made the playoffs. And so, you know, you add DeAndre Ayton to that squad. That's a pretty good team. It's a very young team as well. So you can, you know, you kind of build up your future there. So that's, that's kind of the question here. And it's funny that we're talking about it because we actually, Hayden and I kind of did a, you know, almost a kind of an emergency, well, not emergency, but like a kind of call to a state, let's call it state of the union with the Phoenix Suns a couple of weeks ago, where we kind of like, all right, look, you know, Chris Paul's 37 years old. He's going to be 38 by the, you know, by the time next season comes around, you know, you have a lot of great players. You have this very, you know, solid core team who got to the NBA finals last year, obviously had the, you know, best record in the NBA this year and then lost early in the playoffs. But like, if you're going to bring back that whole team, you can definitely run it back. But like, how much longer are you going to bring back all of those players who went to the finals last year? And I obviously didn't even come close to the finals this year. And so that's kind of what we're thinking about here. And I think this really gets to the point of, you know, what what is the general manager? What are the owners going to do? Okay, so now let's kind of break down that aspect. So the owner, this guy's name is a guy named um, Robert Sarver. And, and he is like very well known for being basically like the cheapest guy owner, you know, very high up executive level, you know, team guy in the NBA, like just like overall. And and it's the reason why the Suns have had so many chances over the years to be such a great team, but never gotten, you know, that championship that they've always wanted. We talk about Charles Barkley all the time, you know, he's all over TV and whatever. And everybody always jokes that he never got a championship. He went to the playoffs, however many times, and he was the best player in the NBA and whatever. He never got to win the championship. He got to the finals and never won the championship. They had Steve Nash when Steve Nash, he won back-to-back MVPs when he was on the you have Amari Stoudemire. That's a name for you, Hayden. Um, yeah. and, and these guys get into the play in the late in the playoffs. And, and it just was never able to work out because, and a lot of people say it's because this guy, Robert Sarver, is like the cheapest man on earth. And anytime they actually had a good team, he was like, well, eh, we didn't win a championship, so I'm just going to blow it all up. And it's like, you got to spend money on these guys, man. And so, con- you know, kind of contradicting that, the GM is a guy named James Jones. And you might remember him a little bit more because he was the GM of the Cavs when they LeBron came back to Cleveland and brought Kevin Love and you know and, and, and Kyrie Irving and like that whole team that actually right ended up winning you know, winning a championship they could have won more but they just ran into the you know the Warriors dynasty basically and so this guy is an amazing general manager because he is able to pretty much wherever he goes build a very successful team that is you know solid from the ground up and they have versatile players and good defenders and everything that you would need to have a successful team that is you know that has the potential to win a championship and so you kind of have contrasting sides here because there's a guy who's the owner who you know gets the you know the say at the end of the day he owns the team as a very cheap guy who doesn't want to spend any money on his players versus a guy in James Jones who's like dude we got to win a championship that's the point of basketball um you know and, and again a lot of times the owners are, are very much uh, businessmen and that's how they make their money and so they could kind of care less what their what their NBA team does uh whereas the GMs are like this is my entire job I'm going to get fired if we don't do well but the owners fire the GM because they're not doing a good job but a lot of times the owners are like I don't care about basketball and so the GMs are just doing a bad job but it's like dude you're not letting me do anything so yeah anyway um I think that's probably much pretty much what's going on here with the Suns and so I don't know what's going to happen right I mean that's kind of big, the big question here is like are you going to offer the max contract to, to DeAndre Ayton because then as I said before if you're going to you know designate almost a quarter or more of your, your you know your salary cap for the entire team for next year to this guy who yes can be a very much a cornerstone of your entire team for the next however long Sure. But, you know, what if he doesn't pan out? What if all these other things, you know, and obviously the the owner's a little bit cheap to begin with. 
Or if you could kind of save a lot of money in that sense and just, you know, trade them to a team like the Hornets or, or someone else who will kind of take on that max contract. That's a lot of money, you know, that, that you're going to be saving on the back end. But like, I again, Bismack Biombo and JaVale McGee can only get you so far, right? DeAndre Ayton is the, is the star down low in that team. He's one of the best centers in the league right now. So that's kind of the question that the Suns are going to need to answer. And I don't know, man, it, it seemed like something was up. And so in my mind, as much as DeAndre Ayton is good, the fact that, and, and, you know, Hayden kind of wrote it out here and I think he's, he's spot on with this is like, they took him out of the game. He had, I think he had like three fouls in the first like six minutes. So obviously, yes, he was in foul trouble. They didn't want to play him, but like in the fourth quarter of a closeout game seven, you're not playing, you know, the, the big man who's going to win you games at the end of, you know, at the, at the end of the game, that's not a good sign. And so I'm thinking that something else here is going on behind the scenes. I said this, you know, a couple of weeks ago on the, on the podcast that we did. And at the end of the day, I don't think the Suns are going to retain DeAndre Aiden. I think they're going to either trade him away or some other team's going to come with a huge offer that the Suns and this cheap owner, Robert Sarver, are kind of, you know, can't really pass up. We're just going to want to almost, you know, get rid of that contract so we can just keep being cheap. So that's my outlook on the situation. I think that it's it's unfortunately not really basketball related. Um, I hope that kind of this comes out eventually as to kind of what happened behind the scenes here, whether it was, you know, maybe he just didn't get along with people, maybe Monty Williams, who is, great, is, a, is a great coach, maybe just didn't like DeAndre Ayton very much. I'm not exactly sure what happened, but that's kind of my, my prognostication on what the future of DeAndre Ayton as well as the Suns could possibly be. Um, but Hayden brought up this topic, so I, I'd, li- I'd like to get his thoughts on it as well. Yeah, so I'm going to tell you right now, if the Suns offer DeAndre Ayton that max contract, again, this is all banking on the fact that DeAndre Ayton will not settle for anything except for a max contract, which that's he's basically said that, and that's been the end of his argument which is cool it, well and because he's like some team is going to give it to him right so like obviously the suns were the best team in the nba this year so you know yes they may have money to spend here or there or other yeah. places but like right for his team like the kings like the like the hornets like the thunder the rockets these teams that are had like very young um you know you know, very young foundations right now they they could they would love to spend the money for a guy like deandre ayton right now so that's kind of where i you know i agree with you hayden it's like you know, DeAndre Ayton saying that he's not going to settle for anything less, but I also think that there's a plenty of teams out there that would love to pay f- to have him on their team anyway. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the whole point here. So my thing is, if the Suns do offer him a max contract, which I don't think that they will, but if they do, they that might be like one of the stupidest moves in the past ten years in terms of a team giving a player a certain contract, um, in, in terms of trades and anything like that, right? So. That's where I'm at with this whole thing. I think DeAndre Aiden, Matt said, yes, he he is one of the, I mean, if you think about the centers in the league, he is in the top, definitely the top half, you know, top third, I would probably say too. But I don't th- like, I think in the playoffs, we saw him dwindle a little bit. And I, they, they, again, like we have said many times so far in this topic, they took him out of the game in the fourth quarter of a game seven. And you wouldn't, I mean, unless your star player or one of your star players is either hurt or is doing extremely bad, you're not going to do that. Right. Or obviously if they're in deep foul trouble um, and like Matt said, he kind of was in foul trouble. Yeah. And even if, right, exactly. Like I was gonna say, even if they are in foul trouble, like let him foul out, like at least try your best. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently I watched a, I actually watched an interview with Monty Williams and the interview or the the reporter asked Monty Williams if he had discussed anything with DeAndre Aiden, reg- either regarding that game or regarding 
uh, another contract. And Monty Williams was like, no, we haven't discussed anything. That's just going to be something that's safe for the summer. And he just, he left it at that. And it was, it was very, I don't know the, the way that he said it again, it was a few words that he said, but the way that Monty Williams said it was like, I'm not really messing with this guy. I hope that our general manager, I hope that the rest of our organization won't give him this contract. Again, it's not really up to Monty Williams. He'll have a say in it. And I feel like his say will probably be let him go. And we like, don't even try to max his contract because, or match his contract. Um, because again, he is a restricted free agent and they could do that, but they're not gonna, if another team offers him. So yeah, a couple teams that I've heard are kind of in the mix. Matt said, you know, the Rockets, the Thunder, those young teams that don't really have a, a, a strong center. Um, there, there are a couple teams like Atlanta, Detroit, and Portland. Those are the three teams that I've read about. I don't really know why Atlanta is on the list because I mean, they have, they have a couple guys that I think that what they have like Clint Capella and, um, and I think, I mean, they have DeAndre Hunter who he can, well, he's kind of more of a power forward, power forward, but he'll play the, the five sometimes as well. I mean, Detroit, yeah, the Pistons, like they, they just need help <laughs> and Portland is kind of the same way. Portland's kind of a lost cause at this point as well. So a couple of those, yeah, those teams should, you should probably be on the lookout for um, offering him a contract. But again, we can we could see him go to any of these younger teams, and he'll definitely have a bigger impact there. The Suns will be absolutely stupid to offer him any kind of max contract because he's if the relationship is already kind of broken between uh, DeAndre Aiden and Monty Williams, it's, there's no point in trying to repair it with some huge contract that's going to make DeAndre Aiden happy, but that's not going to make Monty, Monty Williams happy. It's just going to make more confusion and create more drama on the team that isn't needed. So I'm definitely going on the, on, on the side of the sun should not offer him at all. Um, and again, we don't really know where he, where Deandre Aiden is looking in terms of other teams or where other teams are at with him. We'll just have to find that out, but I just wanted to bring it up because Aiden is, you know, one of the better centers in the league and definitely kind of has become a, a, a solid part of that Suns team. But I, I do think that Suns will be all right. They'll probably sign somebody, um, you know, out of, out of free agency or something like that. So that's that for NBA. If we are all good on that. Yeah, we're good. All right. Well then we'll move into PGA right now. So the PGA championship ha- happened this past weekend. If you guys didn't watch, it was, there was a crazy finish. Justin Thomas came into Sunday's round seven strokes behind the lead behind Mito Pereira, and he ended up winning in a three-hole aggregate playoff against Will Zalatoris, who was in the top five basically the whole term- tournament. So that was kind of sad to see Zalatoris fall from that because, again, he was he was up there for most of the tournament, and then he ended up losing in a, in a pretty close p- playoff. If you guys didn't know, aggregate playoff means they pick three holes, and it's not like a normal one-hole playoff where – they just keep playing until one person, until one guy beats another guy. An aggregate playoff is they they play those three holes and it's a stroke play, three hole playoff. So like, for example, in this one, uh, Justin Thomas he birdied the second, yeah he he birdied the second, which I think was a par five, and then Will Zalatoris got par, and so I was like, okay, well Justin Thomas just won, but they had to move to the third hole because um, it it was aggregate and it was stroke play, but. They ended up tying on the third hole. So, so Justin Thomas ended up winning and yeah. So 
the whole demise here is not even it, it it was it was Mito Pereira's demise. It wasn't even really Justin Thomas that was like surprising. It was it was really Mito Pereira who came net, a minus nine to the day and then ended up finishing, I think, minus four. He double bogeyed the last hole, the 18th hole, and he pretty much like he just fell off a cliff on that hole. He he hit his drive into the water. It was the last hole he had, I think, a, a one stroke lead. He literally just had to par it basically. And he would have been either in a playoff or would have won. And he hit it into the water, ended up scoring um, a double bogey on that last hole. And I think came tied for third or fourth or something like that. So Matt is going to give some background here on Pereira and kind of where he's been at this whole season, because we haven't really seen him since the very beginning of the season. But let's also talk about why he might've been experiencing some heavy, uh, some, some heavy nerves coming into this tournament and I guess coming into that 18th hole as well, but you know, not only coming into that 18th hole, but literally just the tournament as a whole. Why, why was he so nervous? Let's give some background on him. Matt, take it away. So Mito Pereira is a Chilean golfer. Okay. And there's only really two golfers on the PGA tour that are from Chile. It's Joaquin Neiman, who's actually a really great golfer. He won uh, the Genesis at Riviera uh, earlier this year. He won wire to wire. Actually, I think he's like the only wire to wire winner for like the entire PGA tour season so far. Um, he's, he's amazing. All right. And then now you kind of have Mito Pereira and, and Joaquin Neiman's probably been on the, he's been on the PGA tour for probably, you know, three or four years now. He's kind of a, you know, a seasoned veteran at this point. Mito Pereira is a, pretty much a rookie okay he started out last fall now and if you don't know the pga season it's really weird it starts in like the end of august but then they do like a christmas break for like a month and a half so it almost feels like and then they start like january 1st again so it almost feels like it's like you know the calendar year kind of goes along with the golf schedule but it's technically not um so anyway he got to kind of the pga tour and started playing in these tournaments pretty much at the beginning of the season last August. And he started out on fire. He had, you know, like, you know, the first like three starts he had, he was in the top 10. Everybody was loving it. You know, he's, it's a fun name to say, right. And then obviously he's new to the scene. He's a young guy. And so he became kind of like the talk of the town in, in terms of golf. And, you know, this guy's going to be really great. And then he basically just, he, you know, he's kind of just went really unheard of for the for the ever since I would say probably you know last like October November time so it's been like you know over six months since he's even really been in contention for really anything um and so kind of the you know the 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 hype train on Mito Pereira really died down especially you know pretty much after like a month ago when people realized, okay, like maybe this guy just isn't that great. Um, and so there were no expectations, absolutely no expectations, you know, of him coming into this week, especially because it was at a, you know, it's a major tournament. Um, you know, this guy's only played in a few tournaments overall, you know, much less a major turn. I think this was actually his first major tournament start, maybe a couple, a couple times before, but still, you know, the, 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 you know, the big stage, it, it doesn't get, it doesn't get bigger than, than what he was facing this week. It was at a really tough course. It was at Southern Hills, which is in Tulsa, Tulsa Oklahoma you're going you know what the heck does that mean well it means that it's a really long course and it's really windy and so these guys were beat up you may have noticed the winning score was minus six well technically minus five is what the playoff started at and a lot of these tournaments are going to you know minus 20 minus 18 some of them were up to you know minus 30 uh you know earlier in the year and so this was a really tough course and it's like how would you expect Mito Pereira to you know to all of a sudden come out of the scenes and, and just be amazing well guess what that's golf for you it's amazing because these guys can just kind of come out of the you know come out of the wood woodworks and, and end up doing really well so that was kind of the story on it right and so he was the leader after the second round 
He was a leader after the third round, but he was the leader after the third round by three strokes. That's a really big lead in golf. But really what people say is it's almost the worst thing to be leading by, you know, I would say probably two strokes or more going into the final round of a major, because it's like, all you need to do is just not like absolutely suck. But because golf is such a hard sport and such a mental sport, it's really easy to suck, <laughs> especially if you kind of get into a bad headspace, right? And your mentality is all a little bit, you know, a little bit messed up. So throughout the day, Mito Pereira didn't play well, right? But again, in a lot of these situations, because he was in the lead, he didn't need to like, you know, really try too hard for his shots. He didn't have to like drive the ball, you know, over trees and into, you know, past the water and all these crazy, you know, tough shots that we, that we see from guys who are like, okay, I need to, you know, I need to step my game up and actually win this tournament. He could kind of hit easier shots going up into, you know, kind of, you know, being in the last round just because he was already winning by so much. And the crazy part is, he was, uh, and, and right, for as much as he didn't really play too well, you know, the entire round, he goes into the 18th hole, the last hole of the entire, you know, entire tournament. He's, you know, no, nobody ever thought he would come close to winning this thing. And he's up by, and he's up by a stroke, right, going into the 18th hole. And as Hayden said, all he needed to do was just get a par. And it was a pretty tough hole, but at the same time, you know, right. Even if you get a bogey, okay. You know, right. You, you kind of blew it, but you're in the playoff because, you know, whoever is tied, you know, with the winning score, the top score is tied at the end of, um, you know, at the, at the end of the tournament goes into a playoff and Hayden kind of, you know, ran out the rules for how the playoff worked at this tournament. Um, and so, you know, right. Even if you bogey the hole, you go into a playoff, you still got a chance to win. Um, and, and his first shot, you could just see it. He, he literally, it, sound, it, it looked like if you ever watched Charles Barkley's, uh, you know, golf swing. It looked a little bit like that. Yeah. It was like a combination of like, 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 like a, like a baseball bat off of a tee still. And then he was like swinging, swinging his arms over and around himself. And he, he looked like a ballerina. It was just all bad. And he sent it right into the water. So he's already a stroke behind. And then, you know, he, he's his third shot goes into the rough on the, you know, off the green. He hits a, he hits an approach shot on the green and doesn't really, you know, it's not really that close and he misses the putt and it just all crumbled. And he ended up, you know, right. Not even compete. There was a playoff, but the playoff was because there were two guys tied at minus five and he was minus six coming into the hole. And he didn't even get to participate in the playoff because he absolutely blew it on the last hole. And so that was kind of the story here. I mean, obviously, yes, Justin Thomas won, but he's one of the best golfers in the world. So I'm not really surprised that he beat Will Zalatoris in the playoff. I just feel so bad for Mito Pereira, this guy who nobody thought had a chance. And he was winning the entire thing after the second round and then had a, a three-stroke lead going into the fourth round, the final round. On the final hole, he has a one-stroke lead. All you need to do is just not blow it. And he completely blew it. So really what I'm hoping is that this doesn't like, you know, mentally scar him to the point where he can't really compete like again. Um, he's definitely, he's an extremely talented golfer and he's very, uh, he's, he very much keeps his composure. So I think that, you know, this was just his, I think first real chance of being like, Oh my gosh, like I'm actually going to win a tournament, much less a major tournament, which is like, you know, that's, that's the biggest of the big that they get. Um, and, and so that kind of, I think it all just got to him right at the worst possible time, but I think Mino Pereira is going to be okay. He's going to be here to stay. And I would really love to see him get a major in the future. Obviously it's very hard. There's only four, you know, only four per year, but he's very young. And, and, and so I'm definitely going to be rooting from him for him from now on. Yeah, you know what Mino Pereira's drive on 18 looked like? It looked like what Scotty Scheffler was doing at the Masters with his whole, like, shot-shaping weird thing where he yeah. – I mean, well, first of all, he jumps. He basically, like, hops on all of his on all of his hits. 
not only his drives, but his irons now too. But at the masters, he was doing this weird thing where he would, he would hit it, but then he would try, he would turn over his hands really hard. And so his, his right arm would be over his left arm by the time his, his swing was finished and he would f- finish his swing like at his knees, basically. That's exactly what Mito Pereira did. Like I, I watched this swing and I didn't see it live, unfortunately, but I watched it back afterwards and I saw it and I was like, dude, that looks exactly like what Scotty Scheffler was doing, but Scotty Scheffler was doing it right. Basically yeah, like, the difference is Scotty Scheffler won the masters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was, he was doing it on purpose and he was making it work, but this was obviously a very big miss hit. And again, like Matt said, we all feel very bad for Mito Pereira and it, yeah, it does suck because it's, it's one of those things where like, you know, this could be a very memorable PGA championship. I'm not saying that it won't be because obviously well, it will be for Justin Thomas. That that's one person it will be memorable for, but it's, I feel like it would be more memorable if Mito Pereira went out there and won, even if it was just by, you know, one or two strokes, if, if, even if he, I guess went plus one or plus two on the day. And then, um, you know, Will Zalatoris or whoever was in second coming into the day went even like he still would have won. So that's, that's kind of the frustrating thing, especially when I I don't know, just like watching him playing, (laughs) watching him play 18 was so tough to watch because it was just like, he knew that he was just falling so far behind. Um, And yeah, I think by the time he was chipping, he was, I think, I think he had a chip to basically, save bogey i think it was and he didn't make and like he had to make that in order to go to a playoff and then when he didn't make that he was he was done he wasn't even in the playoff and yeah that was that just sucked to watch but like matt said we we will see uh, mito Pereira back at some point we just don't really know when because golf is so unpredictable but with that being said uh let's move into our nhl segment and then are you wrong segment at the end this is going to be kind of a short segment. It's I'm literally just going to ask Matt one question and it'll probably be a yes or no question. And we'll give some, um, for some reasons why, but on Monday night, we saw the lightning complete their sweep of the Florida Panthers in the Eastern conference semifinals. So both of us had the Maple Leafs, at least in the Stanley cup finals um, when, when we picked them. And while they took their first were their first round series, um, with the Lightning to Game Seven, the Lightning came back and beat the 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 Panthers in four straight games, which was kind of interesting. So w- we've only seen two series from the, from the Lightning so far. They struggled a little bit against the Maple Leafs, but now they just absolutely just charged right through the Panthers. So I'm going to pose this question to Matt. We're left looking at the Lightning gearing up for a another deep playoff run again this year. So does this mean a threepeat for Tampa Bay? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> it's it's crazy to say. A couple things here on, on the uh, on the on the Florida Panthers. So they won their playoff series um, against the oh geez, I'm blanking on it now. The Capitals, the Capitals, um, and that was the first playoff win or playoff series win since I think 1996. So it was wow. almost like 20 years uh, since they'd won a playoff series. So great for them. But the other thing is. Just a little note here: the, pre- the 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 Florida Panthers won the Presidents Cup this year, and the Presidents Cup is essentially the team that has compiles the most points throughout the regular season in 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 hockey, right? And so, and it kind of works the same way as, as soccer. So you get three points for a win, you get one point for an overtime loss. So in soccer, it's a draw, but um, in in hockey, it's an overtime loss, and then obviously zero points for a loss uh, in, in regulation. So the Panthers were really 
you know, the best team in the regular season all year, right? They have the number one seed in the, in the, in the, in the East, you know, they, they earned it. They, they, they were amazing. And I think, I think I heard this somewhere, but I'm not exactly sure if it's right. The Panthers scored the most, or like had the most prolific offense in the history of the NHL this year, like in terms of just scoring wow. goals and everything they did, they scored three goals in four games yeah. against the lightning this series. Crazy. Andre Vasilevsky, Vasilevsky. All right. Vassy. Um, he's a baller, dude. He was standing on he his is. head the entire series. Uh, this guy, it was like the saves that he was making. It was just like, yeah, they looked easy. He looked, it looked like there was no, there was no chance the Florida Panthers were going to be able to, you know, really ever score in him. And they really didn't. Um, and so I think this was kind of just a wake up call, right? It was like, yo, we, you know, the lightning have won the last two Stanley cups. They won the championship two times in a row. Obviously you had the, you know, you had the COVID year that, you know, 2020 um, there weren't any fans there, whatever last year, still kind of not, you know, not as many fans. And it was a little weird still, uh, you know, the home and the, the away playoff games and whatever, but they've proved it so far. And it was funny. Cause yeah, Hayden mentioned, you know, we both picked the, the Maple Leafs to, to make it to the, to the, to the Stanley cup finals. And honestly, I mean, I think we probably had the right, you know, the right path. We just kind of had the wrong team. Right. But I think that kind of, you know, I mean, I don't know. I feel like just the, the, the playoff inexperience that the, that the Panthers had, I think if the Maple Leafs had beaten the lightning, the Maple Leafs probably would have beaten the Panthers, maybe not a sweep, right. Maybe not four Oh, but still, I think they probably would be able to get past that. But yeah. yeah, I think that the lightning just have so much playoff experience and they've been here before and they've done it before they know what it takes. And realistically, I mean, whether they play the Hurricanes, you know, or the Rangers in the Eastern Conference Finals, I don't see either of those teams really, you know, doing anything to, you know, to, to really match up well against the Lightning. So I think that's an easy road for them to the, to, you know, to the Stanley Cup Finals. And then it's probably going to be the Avalanche on the other side, but that is going to be a heck of a series. Um, I can't wait to see that if that's what we get. Uh, either way, though... I, we, the lightning just might do it. They might just, they might just be building a dynasty right now, right before our very eyes. And we haven't even really, you know, addressed it very much. So that's kind of my thoughts on the NHL. I don't know if Hayden wanted to say anything else or want to get into your wrong man. Uh, so what's up? Yeah. I mean, I was just going to say that I think we kind of saw this coming. I, we had a segment before the NHL playoffs even really started. And we were just kind of talking about where we were at the, at the end of the regular season for NHL and I think one of the questions was like, you know, who are we going to look out for in this season's playoffs? And I think one of one of my mentions was the Lightning. I was like, we, we can't forget about them because they weren't really talked about coming into the this year's playoffs. But again, like Matt said, they have so much of that experience. They've won the past two. You can never count them out. And I I, I remember saying that you can never count them out um, in this playoffs. But again, I I fell uh, fell victim to believing the Maple Leafs too much, and so. I picked the Maple Leafs. And so at the end of the day, I was wrong too. So there you go. We were both wrong with the Maple Leafs, um, unfortunately, but it's so cool to watch the the lightning play. And like Matt said, most likely we are, we are going to have an avalanche lightning Stanley cup finals and that's going to be awesome. So we can move into your wrong man though. Cause my voice is like, <laughs> I have to clear my throat. So yeah, Matt, take it away. Shot. That's a good sign though. That means you're dedicated. You're, 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 you're pushing through for the pot. Um, I like it. So my, you're wrong, man. We're only going to do one each today. Cause it's kind of like, I, I think, I think this segment should kind of become more of like, we started out doing like dunks. It's like, Oh, this guy's wrong for dunking on this guy. Like whatever, like viral Twitter stuff. But I think we should turn it into more of like under talked about like things that happened over the past week that like either we can kind of say are on either end of the spectrum in terms of being cool or not or whatever. Um, 
so the you're wrong man section is, is really designed it's kind of a spoof of uh uh your come on man come on man of course it yeah. is duh um no i just wanted hayden to you know to, to say it we got we got we got to set it up like that yeah come that's on. right yeah. uh so so you're wrong man my you're wrong man is actually coach k mike shashevsky um he retired okay he retired well wait did he retire who knows? Because at this point, this guy is just like all over the Duke program still. Okay. This is Mike Coach K retiring, but still not retiring is wrong. And I'm gonna give you a couple, a couple instances here. Okay. So it is well known that in Cameron Indoor Stadium, which is the basketball arena that the Duke, the Duke basketball men's basketball team plays in, Coach K has basically like his quote unquote office is like the entire sixth floor of the entire building. Okay. And so obviously. That's his place. All right, cool. Apparently, though, like nothing has been done to change any of that so far. And he's like still showing up there every single day and just like sitting there. And and the coach who's taking over for him, the guy named John Shire, works on the fifth floor. Like his office on the fifth floor is literally like above, you know, Coach K is like, yeah, I'm still above you, dude. There's other things where like, so this guy named Joey Baker, who was like a very highly touted five-star coming out of high school. Um, he was recruited by UNC. He was recruited by Duke. He's actually like grew up like the biggest UNC fan ever. Uh, Coach K actually convinced him to come to Duke. And then basically like they registered him for the first year and then pretty much got rid of his redshirt to like play in like two of the last games of his, of his freshman season. He hasn't even really played ever since then. He's like going to be a senior next year. And so he's basically just been like completely wasted away. And he's treating, he announced that he's in the transfer portal and like every news article about Joey Baker literally just had, you know, quotes from coach K and it's like, this guy is not the coach of the team anymore. Why are we like (laughs) giving him so much attention and allowing him to have so much, you know, say in what's going on, all these quotes and everything. It's like, so I don't know. I think that I don't think he's fully retired. I think that he might, he probably won't coach the team next year, but whether he's in some sort of like presidential player personnel, like behind the scenes role, or maybe he just still shows up to the Duke, uh, you know, to, to his sixth floor office uh, just to, you know, j- just to flaunt it. I don't know what it, what it is, but I just think that he's, and, and I mean, again, we see it all the time, right? In the NFL, Brett Favre, Tom Brady, they've both done it now. They've retired and they've unretired. Okay. Because it's just impossible to, once you're so used to doing the same thing every single day for like, well, for, I mean, for NFL players, you do like 20 years for coach K it's been like 40 years. All right. So imagine like, double the amount of time that Tom Brady's been in the NFL and all that he's won and all that he's done. Coach K is on double of that. And he's won double of that. Right. So like this guy is, I mean, he's the best coach ever in college basketball, but it's like, at some point, if you say you were going to retire, you've got to retire. But again, we keep coming back to the fact that like, yes, they made it to the final four, but the worst possible thing in the world is to lose in the final four to UNC, which is your arch rival and nemesis. They also lost to US UNC in the regular season. And it's like the first time that they've ever been, you know, swept by UNC. And it's obviously in Coach K's last year. It's the first time that UNC and Duke played in the in March Madness. It was in the final four and UNC won with a, you know, with a first year head coach. And it's like, I don't know, man just the, the chips are aligning with all these stories coming out as well as kind of just how the season ended losing to your, you know, your, your, your most hated rival coach K whatever happens, it's going to be wrong. And that's why I'm calling it now, but we got to get the situation under control boys. There you go. Well, my, you're wrong, man of the week is actually not even a really, 
it's it's not wrong. It's actually going to be the opposite. And I'm I'm getting a little sentimental here on this topic. But Steve Kerr, if you guys didn't watch his pregame, his pregame speech or not speech, his pregame, sorry, his pregame interview with reporters and everything like that, where he sits down in front of a microphone, reporters ask him questions about the game that's upcoming that night. He decided to sit down last night and talk about the very tragic shooting that happened in Texas uh, yesterday at the, at the elementary school, which was just absolutely horrible. And he sat down. He actually took that conference to, to sit down and say, I'm not going to talk about basketball here. You guys aren't going to ask me any basketball questions. I'm going to take this opportunity to basically talk about what's happening right now in this country and try to use my platform to make a change. He sat there and talked. I think he talked for probably like two, two and a half minutes ish. He didn't let any reporter ask him any questions about basketball because we all know that even if he said, don't ask me questions about basketball, the reporters are going to ask him questions about basketball because that's, that's their job. You know, you can't really blame them, but it it's super annoying when somebody gets up there post game, pregame, whatever, any kind of interview, if a player or coach, anybody gets up there and they say, don't ask me this question. And the reporters ask it anyway, because that's what's on their list in front of them. Um, we all know that that's really anno- annoying and not important. So I'm going to say Steve Kerr is right for getting up there and talking about something that needed to be talked about and, and addressing the situation and really, you know, paying that respect to, to, to where respect was due. That's probably going to be the only you're right that I'm going to, that I'm going to have again. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, kind of change the tides of this segment because it is supposed to be a you're wrong man. And it, it is kind of supposed to be a, a funny, more funny segment, but I just wanted to say that, you know, in these special circumstances, Steve Kerr was definitely right for, um, for taking that time to address a situation and li- literally just leaving the podium without, having anybody ask him any questions, anything like that. He said what he needed, what he needed to say. And he said, we're going to go out and play this game. But he, he was essentially saying like this game compared to what else is happening around us doesn't matter at all. And so that's that I thought I had a lot of respect for him saying that it was just all around a very, very classy move by Steve Kerr. So um, props to him. So yeah, that concludes our your wrong man segment or for me, in my case, it was a your right man segment again, don't want to change the ties of the segment. So that was a special case, but it had to be said. So that's going to conclude the episode for today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, Again, it was, it was a very jam packed episode. I think this is the first, well, not the first, but this is the most amount of topics, like different topics that we've had um, in one episode in a quite a long while. I think really since the NFL season, because we would have a bunch of NFL topics during the season when that was happening, but um, yeah, since then we haven't, we've kind of just been doing three, maybe four topics, but we would talk about them for a long time. Um, but this episode, we were all over the place in terms of sports and, you know, different, different segments and kind of getting a good variety in this episode. So that was, that was definitely good. Um, we are going to sign off for today and for the rest of the weekend for the rest of the weekend. So I hope you guys have a great weekend. We will definitely be back early next week, um, most likely Tuesday for a little, we're probably going to give a little recap on the wedding. I think that would be pretty cool, but we're definitely going to get into some more, um, I don't know, some more playoffs, some more, anything that happens from now until then sports wise, we're going to get into it. You already know. So with that being said, I hope you guys have a great rest of the week and weekend and we'll see you Tuesday.